Hey Warriors and welcome to the latest episode of Spin Tea with Roxy. Today's episode is not an alternative to medical advice. Please, if you're going to change your medical journey, please contact your medical practitioner, your MS nurse or your MS neurologist before doing so. Other than that, please sit back, unwind and put your feet up and enjoy the latest episode of Spin Tea with Roxy. Hey Brandon, how are you? So happy to have you back. Thank you very much. It feels great to be back. I appreciate you having me on again. Know that everyone absolutely adored your episode. Know that loads of people appreciated you being on the show. And I am so glad to have you back. Well, thank you very much. That's such a huge compliment. I appreciate it. I just like to uh, uh, tell my experiences and hopefully people can learn from them and do better than I did because I screwed up quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) today everyone we're going to speak about disability processing that includes helping yourself get disability um transitions into food and health um personal therapy physical therapy and occupational therapy so i'm going to let you start brandon um to let people know basically your own story and how you got um process for disability for yourself and how that actually went how does the processes go and um how life is for you now absolutely i've noticed uh, a lot of people tend to ask me how do i get the proper diagnosis to then um get the proper medicines or treatments and that seems to be the trickiest part because so many doctors, you know, they're trying to be optimistic, you know, as the, the best way I can say it is they want to be optimistic for you. So sometimes they don't, they don't tend to get the information right on exactly how you feel. And I think sometimes that can be the biggest hurdle to get over, making sure that all your information that you're giving your doctor is as accurate as possible towards the goal you're looking for, you know, I'm sorry. The self-advocacy for your own illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And that's a hard thing to learn. Not a lot of people will speak up for themselves in doctor's offices because of the authority. uh, I'm not going to say that word, right? The authority (laughs) that's there. um, it's, It's hard sometimes. It can be intimidating for sure. But once you do it a couple of times, it gets easier. I promise. (laughs) It's a hard thing to do. And if you're in a certain space with your illness, regardless if you have MS or anything else, um, sometimes you don't have the energy, the actual like internal energy to constantly be redirecting and telling people how you feel. I'm always a person that believes in journaling, writing it down in some sort of form of book. So if you can't speak for yourself, you can just hand that book over and the book will do the speaking. You must have read my mind. That was exactly what I was going to say as far as write things down. So that way, when you do get in there, if you get flustered or forget, or most people go into doctor's offices a little bit frustrated, not necessarily because of what they have to do, but because of the process, the sit, the wait, the sign, the, all of that stuff. So they, they, you know, you can be frustrated before you even sit down face to face with the doctor. So writing it down is a huge, huge benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It's helped me so much because you see four or five doctors sometimes a week 
and every doctor you're having to repeat yourself to over and over again and if you're in a bad place that's the last thing you want to do sometimes you forget the information from person to person like just with the ms brain so i agree with you 100 percent um so when you went to the hospital the first time how did you get or gain the care that you needed um because at the time I was completely uninsured and was paying everything out of pocket, um, you know, before any diagnosis, I I just went to the emergency room at a local hospital because I had some bad symptoms and I didn't know what was going on. I knew that was probably the best way to start the ball rolling because then there would be immediate paper trail, immediate paperwork based on facts, which were, these are the symptoms I'm experiencing and here are the results from the MRI, the x-rays, and then the lumbar puncture all together. Mm. Okay. So you paid straight for your meds, which is not always possible. Correct. Um, it, it, is, it is hard to do. And yes, I did. I had to pay that first visit, which was a five day visit. Um, stay. I had to stay at the hospital. Um, it was a lot. It cost a lot, but at the same time, it was worth it. And after the fact, I was able to then apply from assistance to try to get some help for those bills and stuff. So it, it kind of all worked out, but I would say that it going into one place in the beginning was easier for me than trying to maybe hit different doctors. Cause again, different people, you've got your normal practitioner and then you have your neurologist and then you have your specialist and it, it can be kind of confusing. So I have a question. Did you present with symptoms and then was rushed to the hospital or was it slow progression and you was going to your general practitioner who eventually said that you needed further scans or further investigation for you to then need to actually take meds and assistance otherwise. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, For about two years prior to ever seeing a doctor for it, I was presenting with symptoms and they started to get real bad. So when I went into the emergency room and they saw what was going on, um, that's when they there ordered all the tests. But Mm -hmm. yes, as soon as that was done, even though I had that diagnosis from that hospital, I was then referred to a family practitioner or just a, like a family, normal local doctor um, to start the process of seeing them, them seeing the test results, me talking about my issues, and then going from a diagnosis there. I have My question is, because obviously I'm English and we don't deal with our healthcare system in the same way. If you present with something, you go straight to the hospital and they deal with it. No one talks about bills or money or anything like that. We pay for that in our taxes. So for us, we just do, and we don't really have to think about things like that. But if you, in your situation, you said you went to the doctors and then they decided that you need to do tests and stuff. Do they do them regardless of whether you can, they know you can pay them? Or is that something they would withhold from you? in terms of investigation and stuff until you can prove you can pay? No, in the U S it's kind of, it's kind of hit or miss. It's kind of in the middle. Like if, if I go into the hospital and they see that I have issues, 
they have to they have to treat me that's part of the law here they have to treat me now whether i can pay later or not that's not really up to the doctors that has to do with the management at the hospitals so that can come later but yes they will treat you they will see you regardless of what you have going on but you can't just walk in and say i want all these tests done they have to go well no no we want to see why you would need those tests done and we'll determine um but again just like anywhere else, if I don't like their answer, I can just go to the next guy. Okay. But yeah, when they saw me first, I didn't ask for any of the tests, but I could have denied any of them. Like if I didn't want to do the lumbar puncture, I could have, I could have told them no. If I didn't want to do the MRI, I could have told them no, but then that's my right as a patient. And then that would have been even harder for me to get a diagnosis because they would have said, well, you, you turned down all our tests. How are we supposed to figure you out? But yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I was thinking, as you were saying that, I was like, but if you said no, would you ever got a diagnosis? So you're kind of hands are tied in the sense of like, you have to kind of do it and go through it to get the answers you require. But you're doing that all on the basis of whether you even know you can pay for it in the end. And that's kind of yeah. scary that you're just racking up bills. It's worse than going to university um, on on assistance, not knowing whether you can ever pay that back. And knowing that that bill is going to be over your head is, I don't know, even thinking about it for me freaks me out a little bit. Um, I'm very grateful that I don't have to do that because I've had, I was getting therapeutic lumbar punches every few weeks. I think every six weeks I'd get a lumbar puncher. And I don't know the cost of a lumbar puncher in America, but I only imagine that it's very expensive. And that in, in the first year, I think I would have been fully bankrupt instantly like there I don't know how I would have come back from that so my next question is if you go into hospital and you do get treatment like you said and you they give you lumbar punches and so forth and obviously for you you had a way of paying for it up front and then being able to apply for assistance after but how would one go about doing that like what is the process of taking the information you've gained at hospital and going to the place that would then assist you with disability care and so forth at every hospital pretty much here in the united states that i have ever experienced the hospital staff while you're there for whatever treatment plan you're getting even if it's for a one minute stay or a 10 day stay they discuss all that with you they give you all the proper information they give you the phone numbers the emails They give you the locations for all the places that will help you uh, try to obtain assistance. Um, I'm probably going to harp on this, but it really all goes to the diagnosis. As soon as you start getting that diagnosis, you just, it it really helps. It really helps. So try, and I know that's part of the biggest battle for most people is getting to that first point. But um, everywhere here in the U S that I've ever experienced, all the facilities provide you with that information. Okay, so for yourself, how long did it take you to get a diagnosis? Was it instant for you? Oh, no. So I saw, I was in the hospital. They gave me their opinion. But to get a technical diagnosis, I then had to go see a regular family doctor, pay for that. And then that doctor had to refer me to a special neurologist. Then I went to see the neurologist. They looked at all my charts, all my test work, all my blood work. And then they determined that I had multiple sclerosis. 
And I was first diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS. And then that, that kind of started that process. But yeah, I, I had to get passed on and passed on. And then finally, a neurologist looked at all of it about, I'd say about, it took about six months to get to that point from the time I went to the emergency room to the time the doctor said, okay, yes, you definitively have multiple sclerosis. Um, that's, that's intense. Cause for me, I mean, I know, you know, my story, but I was, presented at 18 I didn't get diagnosed for like years after so for me I'd all that time I'd be in and out hospital they'd be searching for a diagnosis so how would that work when it comes to assistance I can't say to them what I have at all so would they just rack that bill up or well that's the proactive part comes in you just have to keep pushing from your side and you have to keep you have to keep uh, from, from my end as the patient, it's up to me to keep going back to them and saying, no, this is what I need. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's a lot of self-advocacy. It's a lot of really understanding the actual, um, the way the government puts things into place, um, the laws, the structure of the systems for you to be able to, I don't want to say work the system, but technically work the system to your benefit so that yeah, yeah. I, call it, I call it playing their game. You play their game and that may not be the proper terminology, but it is, it's working with the system, learning how to follow their guidelines, do what they need to, but yet at the same time, get what you need. Okay. I can see why in America they say, they say um, eating well is cheaper than the overall cost of not eating well in America because although shopping and food is quite expensive to eat well, I can see how not doing so and developing some sort of illness or something then costs so much more than that. So I can see why that's become a quote. It doesn't really make it necessarily true because you can eat healthy your whole life and still something happens, appears. You can still, I don't know, get struck down by lightning tomorrow. There's no guarantee that anyone's gonna be healthy their whole life. Right. But I can see why it's something that people kind of base their life on and make it a full lifestyle change because ultimately, how much is a night stay in America's hospital? Like, even as a tourist, you kind of go, I yeah. have insurance. I need to make sure I have insurance. I want to make sure this insurance covers everything because you don't want, how do you even know how much it is for a day oh, in hospital? If it's, if it's on the low end and you're not, not including any of the tests and stuff, most of the time it's about $5,000. For a, like, can I just stay next door in a and b Like, <laughs> I went in the whole process, went into the emergency room, saw them, talked to them. They set me up in a room. I was there overnight. The next day they fit all that stuff. It'd be about five G's. Wow. That's incredible. Like, yes, I, and I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures that go around social media that is discusses how I just saw one today that says there's a problem when your MS medication per year, Ocrevus, $65,000 is more than a brand new Mercedes C-Class. Like that would, <laughs> that's only $49,000. But yeah, it's, it's a little ridiculous. I, I would be up shit Creek if I did not have assistance. I would oh. be the lowest level of whatever medication I can. I would probably be taking like ibuprofen. I mean, that's probably what the, I would be able to afford if I couldn't um, 
get the assistance that I do. I'm very, very grateful. I'm very I'm grateful. Not. I'm not saying in like, I when I went on Aquavest, because I had to apply for funding, but it's not something that you have to deal with yourself as a patient. You no. ultimately go in there, they give you options, they ask you to sign some paperwork, and they almost go and apply for the assistance for you. And you're guaranteed to get it. Like I've never met anyone that's been like, oh, I applied for an MS drug or I applied for a drug for like dealing with my cancer. And they went, no, you can't have it. I've never met that person. I'm not saying it didn't exist because I don't know everyone in the world. But from what I've met and the people I've seen, everyone's almost guaranteed to get it. So to even think like about, I don't know, it's weird to put a price on your health is crazy to me. To put a price on your like, as a land of the free, it's just strange. It's how free is free then? It's, it's not free at all. Exactly, exactly. And we've always, we've, I've always joked about how, like you said a minute ago, here in the United States, it's actually more beneficial for drug companies for you to kind of stay sick. They want you to be sick. It ta- you, they get more money out of you. If you're healthy, you don't ever come see the doctor. You don't ever use our medications. We don't want you to be healthy. And I know that's <laughs> a generalization, but it's a scary thought when you when you sit down and you go, hey, wait a minute. If they're making all this money off of me being sick, why would they ever want me to be healthy? <laughs> Never. Because you're not coming back. Like you might need a paracetamol, which is like the cheapest drug ever to buy anyway. It's like over here you can get paracetamol in a box of 29p at the cheapest like they would never make any money off you it makes you believe and think deeper in yourself and realize that maybe you can do better for yourself to kind of lessen the financial blow overall um in life because that's not fun at all do you then get physical therapy if you need that and is there a long waiting list is it instant there's something they here locally, there's there's a lot of people that do physical therapy for many different reasons as far as a business. You know, most people think of it um, within sports medicine. You know, a lot of a lot of athletes they get their physical therapy done if they break an ankle or tear a muscle or whatever. But um, it's it's pretty easy as far as there's no real wait list. Um, especially if again, if here in the United States, if you want to pay for anything out of pocket you usually to the front of the line. So there's never a problem with that part. But as far as getting um, pointed in that direction, that was up to the doctors I saw. Um, I had to tell them, this is, I need some sort of physical therapy because I can't move around myself. So I need someone to do it for me. And I had to ask for that. I had to tell my doctor that that's what I wanted. Um, So when I do that, then they put in, we call it, they submit an order for it, which is that they send it to the insurance. They either approve it or deny it. And then once that's done and they approve it, then you get your appointment scheduled and go see your, your therapist. Um, but yeah, they it's, have to see that you need it. They need a, a good correct. reason. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't just say, Oh, my ankle hurts. Well, they would go, okay, well, let's take an x-ray and see why it hurts. Oh, well, yeah. you, there's nothing wrong with it. You don't need physical therapy. I'm not going to order that for you. Um, okay. So yeah. Yeah, they could deny you. But again, if you present with the symptoms or present with the issues that are um, a lot of the times typical with MS patients, as far as fatigue, muscle issues, spasms, um, any sort of mobility issues, whether it be a little or a lot, uh, if you present with those, a lot of doctors, you know, 
they'll help you out. So if you don't pay for it and you can't jump to the front of the queue as um, a patient and you do need OT, um, OT therapy or physical therapy, is there a waiting time usually for you to get assistance? I'd say, I'd say uh, typically once the process starts and you ask your doctor for the order and they go through all of it, it takes about two to three weeks for all that to come back and for you to get scheduled. Wow. I mean, it's not always typically longer here, but especially during COVID, like I've not managed to get any physical therapy at all. Like I was told the waiting list is like, I could be waiting until mid next year. Um, because of the amount of people they can obviously have in a clinic or a situation. Um, apparently there's a lot of people that need it and there's only so many people they can care for. So ultimately my choice is to find a job, which is not easy and pay for it myself or to just sit on that waiting list and hope that maybe something will come up a little bit sooner. But as you can imagine, and I know you know yourself, like time is of the essence when rehabilitating the body so it's not cool so far I was speaking to another lady um about it a few months ago and I'm still waiting now so I thought that's been three months so far um wow. and it's not fun it's not fun yeah. so people see we get for free but it doesn't necessarily mean that we get it straight away very true I won't lie I did take a break from going to physical therapy when a lot of the the height of the COVID outbreak was going on. So basically from like May to September, I just did physical therapy on my own at home, which okay. I'll tell you, I did not tell the doctor. I did not tell them that I did those things all on my own at home and was perfectly fine for those few months. Even though I was okay, I still needed the assistance of the physical therapist once I got back in there because they just do it better. Um, yeah. Because if I were to tell my doctor, oh yeah, no, I did it all at home at once. They write that down. Then in the future, it becomes harder for me to get that um, because they say, well, why can't you just do these exercises at home? Uh, one of the best ways it was ever put to me is that here in the United States, they don't help you not get the problem or help you maintain your health they'll only fix it if it's broken yeah so if i don't fall down between now and the next time that i need physical therapy it's a little harder for me to get it because they ask they go well why do you need it what happened what has happened in the last oh you fell okay cool you got it or oh you twisted your ankle or you pulled a muscle or whatever okay you've got it but yeah there has to be a continuous problem which is the silver lining for me. Yes, it sucks that I have continuous problems, but thank God I do because then I continue to get the help. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's like you want to be repaired and be in a better situation, but there's a transitional period that no one really um, helps with, whether that's um, financially or medically. Like if you show improvement, it's almost assistance, no assistance. There's no assistance in in how to get off assistance, if that makes yeah. sense. Like there's yeah. no way helping people transition to jobs when they can and can't work after disability. Um, there's no way of keeping people afloat. So you can go from having the assistance to having nothing and it affects your life and your well-being and your mental health. And I think some people almost remain sick 
from the stress alone of the situation um, and the stress of not really knowing how to transition away from any of this. And that's a little bit of an issue. And that's the case in my country um, because they do definitely help you. And they do assist you if you are the right person to be assisted. But if you want to transition off of that or if you, I don't know how it works in America, but over here, if you need assistance for so long and because it's MS and you um, become going to remission, say for a year or two and you can work and you can move and stuff. If you then need assistance again, you have to go through the whole process of again. And that's like a few months, like it's not instant. And that's only if they actually say that you're worthy of it once more, which is a whole medical exam. Um, you've got to talk about everything, every intimate detail, your mental health and so forth, which some people are not comfortable with doing. And also some people, like we said, unless they write them down and stuff like that, they forget half of their own history and what they're going through. And only if you can advocate for yourself correctly, can you really gain the assistance. But then sometimes if you're advocating for yourself, then they see it as well maybe you don't need the assistance because you actually can look after yourself in one way or another for me cognitive function is not my greatest strength with ms and um that sometimes makes things like this hard oh no that totally makes sense i completely understand that and see why that would i, I would be i would be frustrated with that absolutely absolutely <laughs> but no you're right you're right Okay, so is that why you, um, you... Oh, my bad. Go for I'm it. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I just forgot exactly what I was going to say, and then it came back to me. I had to get re-diagnosed to get where I am today with the medication. In my previous diagnosis with RRMS, I did not qualify for the Ocrevus and the, and the treatment plan I'm on now. Because that at the time in 2017 was not available for RRMS. It was only available for primary progressive. So I oh, had wow. to kind of go through some hoops again. I had to see uh, one doctor who then had to refer me to the next doctor who looked at all my information and said, oh, yeah, definitely uh, primary progressive. So switched my diagnosis in 2017. And that's weird to say that that was beneficial, but I take it it was. Oh, it was before they would only approve me for Avonex, which I had already taken and I didn't want to take anymore because I didn't like what I read about it. I didn't like what I saw from the patients that I knew that took it. So I was not, I was not going to say, oh, this is what you're offering. So I'll take it. No, I fought for myself. I told them, no, we got to figure this out because this is the medications that I need. How do I get to that medication? And that's where I learned that I had to get my diagnosis changed. Um, but again, that's all finding a doctor that will kind of play ball with you, that will understand your situation. And, you know, without being rude, you can be forceful to them and let them know, hey, this is where I stand and this is what I want. Yeah. If you're not happy, say it. And if it doesn't serve you then let them know because they are public servants, no matter if they want to believe that or not. Um, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Um, so your government assists you with the prescriptions, with care, um, the financial aid, um, 
the disability aid as in like monthly payments to live on? Yes, I receive I receive my a monthly check to live on. Now that's because I worked many years. So I paid into that, just like you kind of pay into your taxes, which you get your free healthcare like that. I had to pay into the social security system that determined when I first got diet or first got my disability, what level I was at. I paid this much in, therefore I qualify for this much money. So the less amount you work here in the United States, like years wise, if you only work five or 10 years in your whole life and pay taxes for those five or 10 years, then you're going to get a very small check. If you work 10 to 20 years, a little bit more, then your checks will be a little bit larger per month. Oh, wow. That's, that's not the case over here. Over here, we have um, two different things you can get when disabled. We've got our personal independence payments, which used to be disability allowance. And then we have something called employment support allowance. So if you're disabled and um, you have worked, you can get contribution pay based ESA, which means if you've worked for a certain amount of time, they will pay you a certain amount of money a month based on you you work in. You can still get ESA, which is non-contribution based, but it's a little bit less. And when I mean a little bit, it is literally like £40 less. It's not massive. Um, our PIP, our personal independence payment, is the same for everyone. It's only based on mobility and care. So for someone like me, I'm not great at cooking or I can't really use knives because I get spasms that make me launch things across the room. So like I'm like a knife thrower um, yeah. and stuff like that. So and like hot water, things like that, because I get tremors and shakes. It's not always great that I'm making tea. So they will base um, half of it on what care you need, whether that's assistance to go to the toilet or to be washed, stuff like that. And the other side of it is your mobility. Can you walk? How long can you walk for? Um, what's your walking like? Do you need assistance to get around? For me, I can't really get on tra public transport. I have four panic attacks. And then obviously my mobility is not great. So I um, can't do that. And they'll give you a basis on how much mobility or care you need. So you can either get lower, middle or higher rate and get a extreme disability premium as well depending if you're like housebound or you're bedbound and then if you want to and you get the high disability premium you can transfer some of that money so about 300 pound a month I think it is in return to basically renting a brand new car for them so that you can continuously get around so I am grateful for the country I'm in as you can probably tell because that would be horrible if you were someone like a young child or someone that's youth that never even got to working age before they got ill. Because there's a lot of MSs that have been ill since the age of like nine, 10. You've not had the opportunity to work. So you're going to be penalized on something that you can't even control. And that's, yeah. that's kind of sad, actually. Exactly. exactly. No, it's, it's pretty sad. What you were describing sounds like you know there's a lot of hoops to jump through but that is phenomenal that um that they have assistance like that for for the citizens there i love that that's great yeah i mean i'm i'm grateful it's um a lot of people come here for that a lot of people come here from america to get help medically because they know they can people travel to england all the time to do that because they don't turn anyone away 
Oh yeah, I'll, I hear stories all the time from people here. It was, I mean, even when I was a kid, most people that I knew, they went to Mexico for their dental work. They could get oh. the same exact dental work for literally hundreds of dollars versus thousands of dollars here. People travel to Canada all the time to get certain things done. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> oh my God, I would travel for dental work. That's like the one thing. Like I've not really had this topic of MS, but I think since being diagnosed with MS, it's affected like my um, bone clarity, especially in my teeth. And it's something that I'm trying to figure out if it's a thing or not, because I don't know what happens. Like my immune system attacks itself and somehow that's become my bone density too, or it's the steroids, I don't know, but something's gone amiss since taking these drugs in when it comes to my bone density and clarity. Um, yeah. saying it's alopecia, losing hair, stuff like that. It's just, it's not cute. It's not cute. Uh, <laughs> MS presents itself in so many crazy ways. There's like a million and one freaking uh, uh, symptoms that you could experience. And it's like different for everybody, but similar for everybody. It's, it's such a weird disease. I know. It's like a pick a mix. <laughs> what did you get this time? Got this. <laughs> Do you want to swap? <laughs> yeah, you want to swap. And even not even what you get this time. It's like, okay, what is my what do I have this week? What do I have next week? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone through in maybe a week or two. I've gone through depression, pain lack of being able to walk, intense headaches, and that's like all in one week. Like it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And I've had to cancel half my life. But then yesterday I had a good day and I thought, woo, back back to being a little bit more me. Managed to yeah. exercise. I'm kind of grateful for it. Which brings me on to my next thing. Because obviously we're talking about all the things that um happen, disability processing, how it is about going through um advocating for disability I want to know did you have any tips for anyone that if they felt like um they were applying for disability and it wasn't going right any tips for someone that's in America specifically in what maybe they could do or who they should look towards looking at to kind of help them um the the biggest one is stand up for yourself advocate for yourself and if you really honestly feel that that's going to be an issue because not everybody has a voice, not everybody feels like they can talk to somebody who's author authoritative over them, bring someone with you. Take someone who will be an advocate for you, which is usually your partner or someone close to you because they're pissed off that you have to deal with this. They're mad at the disease. So they'll be a good, <laughs> good fighter. Yeah, they'll be a good fighter for you, you know. So, but you you kind of already touched base, write things down, um, uh, stand up for yourself. But yeah, and if you can't, just take someone with you. Yeah. I get that. I love that you said mad at the disease. No, it's, it's for the people around you. Um, they're part of the journey, especially if they're with you, they live with you, parents, partners, even children. They have to deal with you every day. And that sounds really weird, but they do. They're part of it. And um, they want the answers as much as you do just to lessen what they have to deal with because we know MSs, we're not that easy sometimes. And especially with the depression, the anxiety, and sometimes the mood swings that all come with um, things attacking your brain. You can, I, I read, um, read, I listened to Dr. Aaron Boster on YouTube and he was had a whole video about um, 
really strange symptoms that had occurred in people with MS. And I found it really intriguing because I find that a lot of people say that certain things ain't MS, but as I talk to MSs, I realize that maybe it really is MS because we all seem to deal with it. And one was a, a full personality change. Like the person had a complete personality change. They were no longer the person that they started as. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing because we should all change a little bit, but they literally on all levels had changed. Their personality wasn't the same. They didn't laugh at the same things. They barely really even came across in the same way. And that was scary for the person that they were with. But it was something that they had told other people about and they weren't taken seriously. Um, another one was people with intense emotions, like intense crying, intense laughter and stuff like that. Um, not being... Um, taken seriously as an MS symptom, but it actually is because of where the lesions were sitting on the brain, they were changing that person's whole perspective of life and perspective of themselves and the things on them. And I found that really interesting because obviously it is our brain and it is our spine and it is our overall central nervous system and how powerful a change that can be in someone if your lesions are in the wrong places. Absolutely. You know, the I think, bless their hearts, most doctors, normal doctors, family practitioners, they don't, they don't go to school for that stuff. They don't understand it. Um, yes, mm -hmm. they understand medical things, but they're going to call you crazy before they call you multiple sclerosis. They're going to say <laughs> this person came in here and started crying. And by the time they left, they were laughing. They're nutty. They're fine. <laughs> you know. So it, it, that's why you know, I always stress to get to that get find out who the decision makers are and get do what you need to do to get to them in my case it was getting to a neurologist straight away as fast as i could um because they ultimately had the say for the next step you know i have one more question for you um before we got onto our favorite subject <laughs> um is was you ever offered mental health therapy was that something that was ever offered? Yes, absolutely. In my coverage for my medical, what they offer me for being disabled, there is a whole umbrella of things from eye, eye exams and glasses, teeth, normal body stuff, physical therapy stuff, as well as what, what you mentioned, mental health. Um, if I want it, they're not going to tell me to go do it. They're not going to recommend that I go do it. I have to ask for it. I have to stick up for myself again and say, you know what? I'm not feeling so well and I really need to talk to someone. And it may take a little bit for you to get it approved and to finally get to that doctor and to finally get that appointment set up again, based on uh, a lot of COVID stuff has got things kind of shut down right now. So it may be a little longer than even usual, but, um, but yeah, y y that's, that's kind of what you have to do. Which I understand, I just feel like mental health therapy for someone with MS, especially after a new diagnosis, should just be something that is given to you. Um, we do get booklets and we do get things that are like, hey, here's what MS is, but it's a lot to take. And there's a grieving process you have to go through. And I think mental health therapy, talking therapy um, is beneficial but like you said over here you have to advocate for yourself you have to ask for it and then you have to wait and sometimes you're waiting too long or 
now, it's not the same when, as I was, when I first went to the hospital, they did. Remember when I said that they provide you numbers and information for the people you need to go see? Yeah. Is, if you go to the hospital here and you get diagnosed with something, um, there will be someone that will kind of be there to talk you through that and say, hey, hand you a pamphlet and say, if you're having troubles dealing with your diagnosis, here's a number, here's a place that you can call and it's free. Um, they did do that Im immediately. Um, so then even though now I do have, like, if I want to go see a therapist once a week for the next six months, I can ask for that and get that going. But in the beginning, if I just needed to talk to someone immediately without being able to afford it or pay for it, but needing to see someone, they did offer me those services right away. Well, I, I didn't get that. Um, I got, hey, here's MS. You got some drugs to pick from. We'll see you later which was a bit much. I think if you're a child, you probably need more than that. And I think our mental health therapy in England is overwhelmed, especially during COVID. There's been a lot more people that need it or want it, um, which is stretching the system itself and meaning that you have to wait weeks and weeks. And for some people, unfortunately, that's way too long and they don't necessarily always make it. And I just think that it's, we need a better system. Um, the main thing we get told when we go to anything I think um, MS related for a initial diagnosis is we get handed booklets and they always tell us to go to the MS society. Um, they're fabulous, obviously, to basically either speak to other people that have MS or to get them to assist you, whether it's, um, mentally, physically, or just to point you in the right direction. So they've almost given it over to the MS societies and trusts to do that for you. So I know people have their issues with some of them, but I do find them beneficial because without them, um, I don't think any of us would know what we were doing because I don't think the NHS has the time because they don't get paid like uh, the American care system in the same way. I don't think, I mean, I don't know because I don't do law nor have I really put the research in, but from what I can tell, it's, it's more lucrative in America to be a doctor than it is in England. I can imagine you guys are pretty overwhelmed over there. Your doctors are probably pretty, I mean, they're probably booked solid with as many appointments as they can take because of everything right now. But yeah, mm. I, I feel bad for them being stretched so into that, that, that sucks because it leaves people who desperately need it, you know, sometimes out in the cold for longer than necessary. Yeah. And I think it's also made some people realize maybe what you don't need as well in the same breath. Like COVID has been horrible because some people that really do new things are not getting it. But for some people that use NHS or other medical services terribly, like some people go to the NHS for a doctor's appointment, but it's a hospital. You meant to go to a GP for a doctor's appointment. Um, they can't do that. So it's a weird catch 22 there's some good points and some bad points that there is on most things um some people have had to learn that it's not a dentist surgery or a doctor's surgery it's a hospital for people with real medical needs and that maybe they need to go and get a proper gp or proper dental place to deal with what they need um but i'm very very grateful for the nhs over here and everyone that works there because without them sometimes i think i wouldn't be alive <laughs> to be honest so sometimes i think if it wasn't for them putting their lives on the line, literally for us, um, what would we have right now? So I think they deserve all the love and gratitude and funding and their own mental support help to be honest. 
you know, people caring for their mental clarity so that they can continue caring for ours. Um, so did all this bring you to cannabis? Did all this kind of medical situations and stuff like that bring you to wanting to use cannabis as a tool to heal along with food and nutrition and so forth? Yeah, and since last time we spoke, um, our laws here in the state of Arizona have changed and we have gone to what they consider recreational marijuana, uh, which in layman's terms means that about midway through 2021, there will be shops that you can go into. And as long as you're 21 and over, um, you can purchase cannabis. It's incredible. Yeah. That, that is yeah. like goals over here. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the more, the more that fall in line, the more um, cities, states, and even nations that end up falling in line as far as cannabis is concerned, the better. The more, the better. <laughs> I really hope that Britain is going to follow suit soon because we need that. We need them to decriminalise it. We need them to let the kids out of jail that are there for no reason other than just want to have a good time. Um, it doesn't hurt anyone. If they do it, we'd get a better quality, better crops, no, like less, less killing of kids and just things that happen based on either people dealing drugs to make money or um, just having no regulation at all if, in what people are actually smoking and taking. And then also people just want to treat their illnesses um, and want to just get some weed just to do that with and then ultimately being arrested for that is just insane. Um, I'm so happy that they've done that for everyone in Arizona and in the other states because I know that's a lot for a lot of people. I really do hope they follow through and then maybe think about letting the people out of jail that are in jail for silly cannabis charges that would just put the cherry on the cake all round for everyone. Um, and maybe give those people jobs in the marijuana field. I mean, they're obviously experts at it. Like they've been putting the time in before it became legal. Employ those people, give them something to do. Exactly, exactly. That's a, a lot of people are fighting for that type of situation here too, to say, you know, uh, that's great that you're changing the laws, but what are we gonna do about all these poor people? You've ruined their lives over a joint or a bag of weed and now they can't even vote or they can't buy a gun or they can't go here or there because they have a felony you know we mm. need to, to fix that we need to fix that i was watching something that was trash tv i'm not gonna say like very tlc trash tv yeah. but like the person had been arrested on a weed charge but they obviously were in the marijuana industry and then they were told they couldn't work in the marijuana industry anymore because of the weed charge. And I was like, that's insane. That, that's, you've just taken this person's whole life away from them for nothing, really. Yeah, yeah. With it legal in states and in certain areas is okay, but with it still being federally illegal, I mean, our, it's still a Schedule II narcotic. It's still, in the United States, it's considered just as bad as heroin and methamphetamines. 
but it's not like clearly is not that bad category is that is so like even though i have i could grow my plants here in my house if if the fbi or the dea ever wanted to actually come and take it and charge me that 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 would that could happen that could happen still that's nuts I don't understand why in America they don't work together. Like, what is the point? But then I suppose that is the thing about America in general. There's different laws for different states. And to me, that's insane. It's like London and Liverpool having different rules or London and Manchester having different laws. Like, it's the law of the land, not the law of the state. It's, <laughs> no, it's yeah. No, they, they can't do that here because then other people wouldn't have their interests, you know? Different people in different parts of the United States don't care about what happens in California. So why would they want their rules, laws, and regulations to apply to them? So it's it's pretty it's based off of greed here, but I'm glad that things are starting to change and move towards the avenue of of uh cannabis use not being there's a huge stigma attached with it. Um you know I started smoking cannabis at a very young age and I was only doing it to get high not to have medicinal purposes. And then years later, once I realized and did research of what it actually can help to do, that's when I changed, not just my thought process, I changed my attitude towards it. I changed my verbiage towards it. I don't typically call it marijuana or pot. You know, I stick with cannabis type of situation. So I, I really treated it for myself. Um, uh, like, I mean, exactly like a medicine, exactly like I would treat Ocrevus. Um, I respect it and I don't abuse it. But that's because of the information now. And imagine if they actually gave that out from the start, from a jump for most people. I think a lot of people would change their attitudes towards it and see it as the special plant that it is for all of us and how much it helps and, you know aids a lot of people mentally physically it stops people from having fits so they have epilepsy like you don't even have to have the thc in it which is great i mean cbd is amazing for that and for people that don't want or like those tastes that come with uh the thc quality um that's nuts (laughs) i'm literally like that's that's insane yeah, and um, once things change across the board and it gets it gets removed from that schedule too, the biggest part that the United States has has an issue with is um, research because it's a schedule two, uh, government facilities, schools, people that could do the research, their hands are tied. They can't do it. They can't get funding for it. They're not allowed to have it on campus. All of those things are not allowed. But once that changes then that'll open up the doors because I know like how well certain areas um, specifically uh, uh, I think it's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is one of the leaders in cannabis research. And I love reading stuff out of, out of their, their neck of the woods because they're just like on point when it comes to actual hard evidence research and their hands aren't tied by government red tape um, which wouldn't allow them to do that research. So I'm very thankful for them. Oh no, absolutely. I saw the same, I saw a documentary and I thought it was incredible what they were doing and they were just proving and that people were wrong and that how powerful it was and how it should be 
just used for so many different things. But obviously, like you said, there's there's powers that be, there's people that it just wouldn't benefit them if it was seen to be as beautiful as it really is. Um, yeah. Huh, that's, 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 that's different. That is, it's just strange, like the universal consciousness is changing and people around the world, because we can connect, um, are realizing that we all think and want the same things. And I'm hoping it's gonna force the hands of the people in power, fingers crossed, to better assist us as a human race overall, regardless of creed, color, sex, religion, none of that's relevant when it comes to just love and care and health and existence. And I think we all deserve the same things. I don't think people should have to travel from country to country just to get basic care to stay alive and live a good fruitful life um i the other day me and my friend my friend's been traveling the world she's from california and i love her um and she's been traveling and she went to the middle east she went to morocco and stuff like that and i bought grapes from england for like i think it was 250 and the mug i got so many little grapes I could barely feel my hand and she sent me a picture of what it would have been for the price of £1.50 in Morocco and she was so abundantly grapey <laughs> so many grapes that I was absolutely jealous and I was like why is that why do we need to do that why are you charging people more to be healthy to be able to love themselves one of my friends told me it was illegal in New York, I don't know if it's true or not, I didn't do the research, to grow certain produce or to like collect rainwater, like basic things that just seem like, how do you, how do you tax nature? Like how do you control the things that you can grow in soil? It's yeah. just weird that you, can't collect rainwater you can't grow your own produce and they've killed the soil anyway so there's a whole other company called the Alinka where I think they're amazing the lady bee comes from Canada they're building a Alinka farm and they have to regenerate the soil because the soil's almost been salted I think is what it is it's like it's been killed from all the processes um but even that like the licensing the things that go with just being able to take care of yourself in America is, I mean, over here, the weather's terrible. So you can only really grow like four or five vegetables because it is freezing, rainy all of the time. But um, unless you get yourself a greenhouse, you can try and grow, you know, a little bit of salad here and there, maybe a few carrots, a couple of potatoes, because, you know, potato famine got us all through it. I'm half Irish, so, you know, um, and that's okay. But like, it would be good if we could all be self-sufficient a bit more. It'd save everyone so much money if we could just grow ourselves a little weed plant, a few potatoes, a little bit of salad, just to tide us over so that we're not all feeling like we're missing out or there's no FOMO in life. We can treat ourselves better. You know, I go outside, go shopping. I don't know what a typical three-day shop in America costs but if I'm trying to get some salad I love vegetables love salad in my life outside of the meat it still racks up like a basic slice of cucumber tomato lettuce a couple of green peppers if you want a nice salad and not just like lettuce and tomato and that's it you're looking at what, spending seven eight pound anyways 
that's that's insane. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it's not that bad where I am, but yeah, that's that's insane. But you guys live on an island too, so it is a little bit different. Well, yeah, I suppose it is. But still, still, it's it's yeah. crazy. These no, are I things heard, I heard we were talking about before. In California, it is. It is illegal to capture rainwater. I'm like, wait, what? I can't take the rain from the sky? Nope, because it's if everybody did that, then none of the rain would go into the soil, and then we'd have issues. And it's like, really? You think? Yeah, you think everybody's gonna stand out there with a bucket just trying to catch rain? No, it's gonna be very few people. But to make it illegal across the board is ridiculous. Is it crazy? So do you go to jail by default if you just accidentally have a bucket outside that's collecting water? Because like. Oh, no, no. You would probably get like if they determined you were doing it on purpose, you would get fined. And then if you if you chose not to pay those fines, you could go to jail. Um, or if you continued to do it even after being fined, then then there could be depending on how much of a level that they bump it up to. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Is there a loophole where like if you can't collect rainwater, can I just walk into the beach and start collecting beach water, the seawater? Uh, no. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you can't no. take water out of the ocean. No. Why? Because it's not yours. Because, I mean, no, technically, technically against the coastline, that's whoever's coastline it is. So technically, you're taking their water, which is ridiculous. But it's yeah. Mother Earth's water. It's not their water. It's not the government's water. It's not <laughs> coastal lines water. It's more my water than it's their water. Like, how? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually nuts. Like, I'm waiting to tax air because it's getting just oh, to level. Oh, exactly. Like, like that movie Spaceballs where you could only get <laughs> clean air out of a can and you had to pay a lot of money for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. And MS is environmental. So that's why, like, I know I'm making jokes now, but, like, for me, this is really serious. Like, you can't just purify your own water from the earth and the soil and they're trying it's like a level of control the control is your health it's not wealth it's not money it's not that it's just what you consume and uh, yeah, wow that's exactly. that's nuts that you can't do that like i don't think those things are illegal over in england i don't think it is like i've never really been like if i collect some rainwater i'm gonna get arrested or anything like that i think it's I don't know. It's, it's going to rain everywhere. I don't know how you can collect all the rainwater. Like, I don't, like, it's just nuts. Like, how exactly. big that would have to be to actually, for it to be a risk to the earth is insane. Like, I just don't imagine that happening. And I think it's just crazy rules made up by, like, it sounds like the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland. It's like, well, you can't do that. Yep. Like, it's like, okay, cool. Yep. Where did you come up with that rule? Just because. <laughs> Just because we want to pay us to gain, collect the water and drain the water and purify the water for you. So it's just another charge over really? another charge. It's, and it's weird because we all live in these big cities because obviously the communication, the connection and obviously the medical care that we can get. But at the same time, you do wonder why you don't live in like, I don't know, a Caribbean island where all that's fine and you can go out there and you can fish freely in the sea and you can you know, collect water if you want and you've got the perfect weather to oh, grow yeah. vegetables. Oh yeah, off-grid living is huge right now in the United States. So many people are buying land and sticking little tiny homes and using solar and doing their thing on their own because they, they're realizing that it's better. But yeah, 
off the grid living is huge right now. How do you do that in America though? Like by law, you like buy yourself, if you buy yourself a plot of land and you put your house on it, you hook up your um, solar panels to it. You, you put your bucket out there to collect your rainwater. That's what you do. Because it's your land, basically. It's your land. Yeah. So how can I not do that if I own a house? Then? Because usually you live in a city. There's city ordinances that that keep you from doing like the 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 making it illegal to collect rainwater. That's not a California state law. That's a city law. Those are city ordinances. So yeah, it's within the city. So if you buy yourself a house out in the middle of nowhere and you're not in the city. You don't get any of the city services. You don't have roads. You don't get them maintained. You don't have electricity. You don't have water, but you can do all that yourself. That is nuts. That is so cool, but also insane. Like I can <laughs> see why uh, people like Kanye West bought the commune, that big plot of land. Like why not? Because you are being ruled by these silly rules that just sounds like some really kind of venomous kind of greedy person that just wants everything oh, yeah. They're made by old people who have private interests that benefit themselves typically in typically i mean they've been doing this for 50 years and then they just keep doing it and we keep allowing it but yeah. well we feel like our hands are tied literally and some people just don't know what to do and Try, they know us all trying to join together to create change is so difficult, even in a world where we connect so well, that they still know that they have the upper hand and we're changing it, but it could take a long while for it to be in a place where it should be. I mean, yeah. we're doing the good fight. Wow. I mean, this is so good. Um, I just want to let everyone know that obviously we've probably digressed a little bit on the subject, but do not worry because I am bringing Brandon back again because why not we love MS and cannabis and we love to talk about NF and cannabis with MS and cannabis so we're gonna bring Brandon back again for another episode and this episode is gonna be all about MS and cannabis because I know you love us speaking about the weed and foods and also things can make that edible with cannabis and hemp and i'm gonna try and get this magical unicorn in front of me to create something so you guys can see that firsthand absolutely we'll make that happen for sure i would love that i know everyone else would love that recorded or not recorded you can talk me through it i'd be excited i'm always happy to know how to make cannabis into special things i think it'll be really exciting and a really good episode to have you on and you've now become the oracle of NS and Cannabis for All. So I oh, hope you enjoy that title. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I only, <laughs> repeat, I only repeat what I learn. Yeah, take the time to learn it. And that's what makes it special. Yeah. Well, thank you but, very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you again for coming on Splinty, Roxy, because we all love you. And we will have you back again and again and again, because why not? And you put great input into everyone's lives. So from my heart to yours, love and light, Brandon. And thank you for joining us again on Spilling Tea with Roxy. Thank you so much, Miss Roxy. I adore it and I appreciate it always. Love and light, warriors. <laughs>